everybody. Welcome back to Matt the Devil's Ball. This is uh, uh, Halloween is coming gone, and we are uh, we're starting a new uh, a new chapter. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, we're talking about what is quite possibly my my favorite horror film of all time. Um, it is uh, it's one of the first times I ever remember being scared. I saw footage of this movie on the news when I was like nine years old. It gave me nightmares for weeks. Um, it, uh, but not only that is it though, I think it's one of the scariest movies of all time, but I also think it's also a, a real benchmark of, of great filmmaking as well. Um, and that movie of course is, uh, is William Friedkin's, uh, The Exorcist. And, right. um, and so there's a lot to cover with that and we will get to it. Um, but first, uh, my co-host Samuel Numine has got the vitals and then we'll, we'll get the show rolling. So. All right, so The Exorcist uh, was released on December 26th, 1973, uh, based on an already best-selling and super popular book by uh, William Friedkin. Um, William I'm sorry, William B. Blatty. Yeah. I always get the two confused because they're William. Williams. Yeah. Right? Um, it was directed by William Friedkin, who uh, last film, The French Connection, was a huge hit as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by uh, William Peter Blatty. Uh Starring Ellen Burstyn as Chris McNeil, Max von Sydow as Father Marin, Linda Blair as Reagan McNeil, Lee J. Cobb as Lieutenant Kinderman, Kitty Wynn as Sharon, uh, Jack McGowan as Burke Dennings, the director inside the film, mm-hmm. uh, Jason Miller as Father Cross, uh, William O'Malley as Fa- Father Dyer, and we got a couple other little people, but that's that's kind of the main thrust that's of the main them. cast. Yep. Right. So this was a eleven million dollars budget. Uh, did approximately four hundred forty-one million dollars worldwide. So a little bit of a hit, especially for the time. Well, for the time, but, that was huge. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's like a yeah. that's like a two billion dollar two billion dollar movie these days. It seems yeah. like. Uh, yeah. The, it's like It'd Avengers. Be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. Um, In those days. So yeah. Yeah. It started. You know, pretty much the whole genre of exorcism films, and the, mm-hmm. in the same way as George Romero started, you know, the modern genre of, of zombie films. Like, you can't. I could. I really tried to think. Could you think of any like exorcism movies that don't pull somewhat from this? No, I mean, no. All of them. I mean, at some point, yeah. Yeah, there, there's different takes on it. You know, there's different angles to it, um, but they all seem to come back down to this same setup, which we'll get into um yeah. but it even kind of backwardsly goes into like how people in society and the church think about exorcisms these days oh yeah yeah you know that, that's so. something we'll definitely get to too um i think introductory wise um mm-hmm. this movie um uh, it's it's uh i think it's something of a controversial film i think it's still i think today it's actually a little bit polarizing um i was actually just talking to my good friend jessica scott um mm-hmm. But how excited I was for this episode because I've seen a lot of really shitty takes on The Exorcist lately, right. and so I'm like, I'm I'm ready to come, well, guns blazing to to defend this movie because, um, in particular, uh, in the wake of Midnight Mass, um, The Exorcist has been taking some heat, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of that heat is just a flat out misunderstanding of The Exorcist, um, namely in the the idea that Midnight Mass, which I don't want to, you know, no no spoilers and uh, i highly recommend midnight mass it's actually quite good um but uh the idea is everybody's like well that's this this is religious horror that finally uses religion as like 
you know, the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And they were like, as opposed to, you know, the exorcist, which was religious propaganda. Um, and that the exorcism that, and that the exorcist was like, you know, uh, and I was like, no, the, right. the, uh, did you miss the part at the end of this movie where the exorcism fails? Um, mm, apparently, apparently they did. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, this movie is not about, um, and there's a lot of heady ideas in this movie, but one of the predominant ones I've had long conversations about the exorcist franchise in general, this and Legion, which are the two that Blatty was involved with the original right. author. Um, are very much sort of like secular approaches to religion, um, right. you know, which is, you know, the idea of, and we'll talk about this because there's a great, um, a great moment in the book that's not in the film that actually outright talks about the idea of like, it's not about whether or not God is real or not. It's right. not about, you know, if you actually have faith in God, it's about acting a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. Doing, being a good person is how you kind of deal with things. And that's ultimately what saves the day at the end of this one, which we'll talk about as we go on. But um, it's not it's not the church right. that saves the day in the exorcist. Um, it's not in Legion either. Um, and uh, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. Um, and uh, but yeah, the it's so this movie uh, also, I think it was like Joe Bob, who I think when he did Exorcist three mm-hmm. um, this past season on his show, talked about how the the young people went to see the re-release which we'll talk about as well i'm sure (laughs) um and we're kind of laughing at the film they didn't really get it and you said something during the halloween special that i thought Mm -hmm. was really relevant here um because i had said something about hereditary and how i could don't think i could have handled hereditary at 17 and you said i don't think quote i don't think i would have had the empathy right to deal with hereditary um and it made me think about the exorcist in general because the exorcist and hereditary hereditary was compared to the exorcist, not in its favor, by the way, mm-hmm. that was not a good idea. Um, poor, you know, poor hereditary getting kind of roped into that. Um, it did not do them any favors. I don't think uh, I probably did at the box office, but not so much in actual critical reception. Well, that's kind of a different take on possession, but it's not an exorcism movie. So I wouldn't count it. Well, as, it was, it, the yeah. comparison was made in this, this is this generation. Well, I was just going, I was just going, I was going back to the, like, have we seen any exorcism movies that were, you know, taking at least a good amount of stuff from the exorcist yeah. to make it work. Hereditary maybe, but that's not really an exorcism possession movie. So. No, but, but my point is that like the tagline of hereditary was like, it's this, this generation's the, like someone's right. quote, was mm-hmm. this generation the exorcist it's the most intense movie ever right. and uh it led to uh that that challenge of people being like right. oh well we'll see about that and now yeah. i'm gonna go in and resist the movie in every single way which we talked about before you can't resist mm-hmm. the process or the movie won't work um which just ties into what you were talking about about empathy which i'm like the exorcist right. runs on empathy if you don't if you aren't yeah able to actually uh immerse yourself in this story and in mm-hmm. what's act what's really going on and think about the real horror of what's going on in this story it's just not gonna right. work. no uh, there's some there's some shocking scenes and some you know yeah some some good horror scenes that you know don't won't really hit right if if you're not you know tying yourself to these characters somewhat um i don't remember if i mentioned it on the special or just in passing in conversation to somebody else but i mean my niece had watched you know the exorcist at like 10 and she just thought it was hilarious right. you know because because the over-the-top acting and you know i'm like i'm pretty sure she watched the tv version so i don't think she got the full experience but yeah. also yeah. also you know it's it's if you're not putting yourself 
are the same level as the characters. You're just, yeah. just not going to work. Yeah. And what the exorcist is all about is running a, is all about emotion. Um, way more than the shocking moments. That's what everybody remembers. The head spins around and the, you know, right. Vomit, the vomiting pea soup and, you know, yeah. floating above the covers. But none of that would work if you didn't land the other stuff. That's, you know, right. kind of how movies work. <laughs> yeah. No, the real horror here, horror here is the idea of like, you know, here's a mother who's losing her daughter. Right. Uh, here's a kid who's going to, who's, who's literally dying. Here right. is. A well, not only is she, you know, not only is she losing her doubt her daughter, she's, you know, losing her daughter to, you know, what she thinks is an incurable disease at first. And then, you know, it turns out to be the spiritual thing. And it, it's, it basically, if you want to really boil it down to the nuts and bolts, it's like watching your child be raped ad infinitum. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a violation of everything, you know, so mm-hmm. I think it works a lot if you, if you're put yourself in the parents' mindset for that, because it's even worse than if you're, if your kid was dying of cancer, it's like, you're watching your kid be, you know, violated. again, violated. Yeah. In every conceivable way, yes, all the time, yeah, horrifying stuff, yeah. And then you have the you know the existential horror of a man, right. who, of a of a character who has who's questioning every choice he's ever made, right? Um, you know who is in you know reaching an age where he is starting to lose everything and wondering right. if he, you know, the decisions that he made that he believed to be selfless were actually selfish, um, you know, like that's that's a pretty horrifying idea that you know that too yeah um, that was one of the things i wish they had kept over from the book is the conversation that father Carras had where he he tried to get reassigned because he had he, he didn't have any faith anymore yes um he, he lost the faith and, and you know the guy's response to that was like we, we all do that yeah. <laughs> all the time like get over yourself it's in the extended um, edition but not uh it's not, not in the same it. way yeah it's it's right. cut down yeah yeah um he does. He says, I want to be reassigned. I, I, I don't have this in me anymore. And the priest just kind of says, well, we need you. Like you, you, you can't. Leave. Right. Um, no, I think, I think they wanted to be, uh, I think he wanted to leave of absence to be with his mother in the book. And then like they reassigned yeah. them instead, like almost in a putative way for asking for a leave of yeah. absence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, uh, there's a lot, there's what's interesting about the book in general, which uh, it's one of my favorite books. I, I, I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. Um, is uh, what's interesting about it is that uh, I think you were noting this on uh, social media, which was that uh, pretty much everything that's in the movie was in the book. Right. But not everything that's in the book is in the movie. Right. Um, although there is very little left out from. Right. I think they, they adaptation. I, I think the way I put it was it was the same as the movie but longer and yes. I said but that's not a bad thing. that's not a bad thing no right. it, it gets um, it gets a little bit more uh, more intellectual right I think because Vladdy uh, had had a knowledge of how screenwriting worked and how novels worked I think he was able to really you know do the difference as well and make the mm-hmm. the right cuts along with uh, Friedkin to to make pretty much the entire book shine through in the movie one way mm-hmm. or the other yeah. Uh, leaving you with only like are are your were your thoughts on the novel different before you watched the movie aspect of you know adaptations yeah which you'd have to actually go back in time to you know yeah. 1972 to do um i tried to get a couple people to talk to about how they how they thought about the movie when they first saw it yeah uh, i saw that yeah <laughs> I, was, I was not terribly successful no um i, I will plug uh deb deckart deborah deckart a friend of mine on facebook was nice enough to talk to me uh, mm-hmm. for 
about a half an hour about it. Yeah. Um, she was a huge fan of the book. Um, she went with the, somebody uh, on a date to what she thought was going to be Blazing Saddles. <laughs> they were standing in line and she thought she was in line for Blazing Saddles. And she was like, yes. And then they went to the exercise. She's like, no. Yeah. Um, which, God, what a what a wealth of choice there at that theater. Though. Right. Like, God, yeah. Two of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she um, she's an atheist and she was even at the time or at least, you know, on her journey to becoming an atheist. And she she wasn't shocked by the religious aspect of it, but just, you know, affronted by the, the existence of evil. And, yeah. um, you know, she said she wasn't, you know, she didn't really see anybody fade or, or any of those stories like that. Yeah. Uh, there were some nerve. There were a lot of nervous giggles. Yes. Um, there were a lot of like, sh- you know, shocked silences. Um, but you know, she's like, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. But I wanted to see Blazing Saddles. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, which you know, I, I think, you know, if she felt like she wasn't giving me enough to work with there, but I'm like, actually, the fact that you went to see one of the most important movies of all time, in, in our circles. Yeah. And your your takeaway at the time was, I would have rather seen Blazing Saddles. It's actually saying a lot without saying a lot yeah because uh, yeah. the cult had been built up that uh, other than the book being popular the movie being popular yeah um, it was yeah. just a popular movie and a popular book and now it's like going to see jaws like back in the day it was probably like the same way yeah but yeah it was a good movie it was really fun yeah yeah yeah, yeah. these things they build up over time yeah which mm-hmm. is why like i said like the the comparison of like hereditary being this is just not right. doing that movie any favors in my opinion yeah but that's a marketing thing that they it's a always do i mean everybody is you know the next hitchcock or the right whatever yeah next stephen king et cetera, et cetera. but yeah. Yeah. only time will really tell yeah yeah um but yeah i mean it's uh it's it probably was helpful with the with the box office yeah, sure, but uh, but it, it that would it, get my interest if that's all I knew about Hereditary. Because it's like, oh, it's you know, yeah. Someone just compared it to The Exorcist. It's that it's that scary. Then yeah, you're gonna right. go first. At first, I'd want to see the actual article that the quote was it, but right. then I'd be like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good quote. That's actually a good point to make. Well, what did you think about The Exorcist? Um, or, or was he saying that this movie was trying to be the new Exorcist and failing, and they just right. put ellipses around the other around it? Yeah. Yeah, you know, we always be careful with those poke quotes, yeah. those ellipses, like, you know, uh, this movie is dot, 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 good, dot, 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 I, dot, 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 likes, right. dot, 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 it. Um, you know, speaking uh, of speaking of dumb poll quotes, um, I I don't know if you saw the cards I said, but uh, I couldn't come up with the, I did want to just do Exorcist Month. So yeah. I did, I, I called this month The Perils of Pazuzu. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like it actually works because every movie is a, is about it in, in a way in a way yeah yeah um maybe not so much three but uh yeah but no um, because it's uh father caras it's all the caras is in it yeah but being tormented yeah. by yeah demons yeah what's up i mean it, but well i mean pasuzu was the last guy we saw in him so pasuzu was is mentioned but not by name yeah. Right. I mean, it, was, it wasn't mentioned by name in the first one either. No, no. Uh, just it was just shown at the beginning, and in the book, it's obvious um, from the jump. I think they named him even in the book, but yes. not the movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure the book was he did get mentioned by name. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So I mean, uh, we're already over all over the place. Right. Well, um, let's go. Let's go. To the, hi. 
You want to just do the plot of the film? I have a Sam's, dog directly. Yeah, Sam's, in my face. Sam's dog is uh, is mauling him um, with love. Oh, by the yeah. way, I was supposed to bring this. I wanted to bring this up. You, so you just celebrated your your wedding anniversary. Uh, yes. I yes. wanted to congratulate you on that. Oh, how, thank you. How long has uh, how long has Jim been putting up with you? Uh, well, I mean, if you're going from the day we started dating, we just passed 25 years. Wow. Um, okay. But if we're going by you know marriage, which married people usually do, it's yeah. it's 19. 19 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, congratulations. Yeah. So she had she had a six year return policy on this shit, and she she said, "No, I'll keep it." Okay. Well. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and I I I, uh, I I'm teasing about the putting up with you thing, but I mean, I obviously <laughs> I I love I love you and Jen a lot, and right. so I want to say congratulations. I mean, I tease her about putting up with me a lot too, but yeah. she doesn't care for it. She's like, "You're a good person." I'm like, "Shut up." I'm not. <laughs> I've been saying that a lot. I'm a disaster. I'm, I'm a really I'm a really a shitty person, but yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah, um, but yeah, okay. So that I mean, well, I don't know if we have to go over the plot because everybody didn't. I, I can't right. imagine anybody listening to this has not seen The Exorcist. Well, I, um, I think there's parts of the plot that get overlooked a lot. Um, you know, like you said, because people remember the parts that you know went on to become you know staples of popular yeah. entertainment, and you know the the fodder for countless parodies and whatnot. Very true. Um, Very true. Uh, I mean. We sh- if we had an extra week this month, I'd want to do Repossessed because I thought that was a f- would be a fun. We might but be, we, don't. we might be we might be able to find time for it, but right. yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's there's aspects of this that don't really get talked about very much. That you know, we had a little extra time to prepare for this episode because life kept getting in the way. So yeah. I watched it a couple more times than normal. I should have done that, but um, <laughs> well, I and I also. I also had to like pace myself because I wanted to be fresh when we get on too. Mm-hmm. But I mean, rewatching it this time, like the stuff with um, her being uh, her, Chris McNeil being shown on the set of her film, uh, of it being like a, a kind of hackish knockoff of like you know some sort of student protest of the '60s movie. Yeah, uh, was interesting because. The first half of this, before things get really out of hand, is is um, a mother being afraid of her child, and I, I can't imagine that Blatty didn't see the parallels of you know youth rebellion of the sixties yeah. <laughs> to to this. Um, you know, he lived in the society at the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on on that part of the the script, other than the director was you know something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's there's some meta commentary going on there. I think right. also about about filmmaking. I mean, Blatty was a film was a film buff, right? Um, and turned out to be a pretty solid filmmaker himself. He only made two mm-hmm. films, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. But um, but yeah, he um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you you're right. I mean, it's something I did notice this last time in particular that the film was is very much sort of like uh, there's a student protest, uh, seemingly about Vietnam, on right. the on on. Chris McNeil's film set, um, and it's and, based the scenes based around you know the the thing that happened a lot on campuses was them taking over the ROTC building, yes, and wanting to take over you know the the administration building. I think it was in this version, but one of the common thing, and she's not playing one of the students because she's you know an aging actress, I guess you would say, um, yeah, old enough to have a, a a daughter that's you know a queen or an, or nearly a teenager. Um, Especially Hollywood at the time, you're you're once you're 35, you're old. I don't remember what what how old the actress actually was. Not the Alan Bernstein. 
Yeah, and right. Wilson wasn't that old. Wasn't that old at the time. No. Um, I'd have to look it up. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Ellen Burstyn, she'd already done some other stuff. I think this was the one that got her. Uh, this is one of the films that got her into like huge stardom, though. Right. Um, but um, but she's playing then, the authority, fi- like one of the authority figures, but kind of on the fence in this in in the movie scene. Yeah. Because she's like, hey, I get your, I get your guys have problems. I, I get it. I'm totally cool with him to that uh, mm. young young children. Yeah, her <laughs> but dialogue. Can we not burn down this. Can we not burn this place down? Yeah, her dialogue was, uh, you you know, you're you're preventing kids from getting an education. That's right. You know, that's a problem. Uh, right. You know, she's she's sort of on the side of the establishment. Yeah. Uh, in that sequence. But almost uh, in a bridging kind of way, like between the young people, the old. Because I'm sure you know she was. I know in the book, I think it, they played it a little more like, you know, she was like one of the hipper teachers than, you know, yeah. the stodgy, the stodgy, you know, administration that, you know, puts Delta House on double secret probation or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, what I always took away from that scene had le- had less to do with her as uh, as uh, as as important as that is. I every single time I watch this movie, it doesn't matter what I'm trying to do. I'm always drawn to Jason Miller's performance. Absolutely. Um, and in that scene, Jason Miller is in the crowd watching the mm-hmm. film being made. He laughs right. at one of Burt Denning's jokes, uh, but then yep. when she's making that speech, he walks away. Um, right. And it's 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 uh, this beautiful crane shot showing him like by very small and by himself departing the crowd, um, right. which gives you immediately the the idea of like that here's a man who is an outsider who wishes he wasn't. Yeah, uh, that's just a masterful little scene too. Yeah. Um, I've always kind of like whenever there's a movie within a movie in a in a, in a movie mm. god there's too many movies in a sense but you know what i mean yeah um i've always struck if they do it well of like how effortless they make it seem yes i mean obviously always the movie within a movie is going to show you a whole scene instead of the way it's actually shot but yeah let's get beyond that um but in this one especially like you know it looks like you're, it starts off by looking like you're there on set as like, you know, almost a documentary film crew. And then by the end of the scene, they're, yeah, like you said, they're doing this big crane shot and everything mm. out of it. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like they stopped filming and then, you know, did that. It feels no, you're like right. it's just part of the scene. You start wondering, yeah, you're wondering if it's, we're actually following the camera that's following Chris McNeil's mm-hmm. the actor or if it's the, right. or, it's, or if it's Freakin's shot. Right. Yeah. Is it, is it Bert Denning's shot or we in Freakin's shot? Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. not like, it's a magic trick. I mean, you, you can see the editing. Um, yes. It's not like rope or whatever, you know, yeah. where they do it in one shot, but it's just done so well that you, it takes you until the scene's over to go, wait, that scene went way different than I thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a great it's a it's a great scene. It's not, and it's interesting that you brought that you pinpointed that one. That's what's what the marvelous thing about doing this show, I think, is that you end up picking up on something that I didn't even really pay right. attention to. Um, the other thing of that scene that I like, and I know you, and I'm with you. Like, once Father Karras is on screen, nobody else exists. Karras, yeah. I always, I don't know why I'm pronouncing Karras today. I must have sustained a head injury at work. <laughs> yeah. I'm always pronouncing Karras. I don't know what's wrong yeah. with me. Um, Karras, yeah. I just did a whole shit ton of Dune, so I might be starting to try to pronounce things differently for the next week or so. I had a um, I had a friend who used to um he he was he took German in high school mm-hmm. and he um and he would wa- read a lot of Token and a lot of, do a lot of Dune and he started right. pronouncing things really weird. Except the only problem is is that if you corrected him on the correct, he would get like throw down and be like, no no no, oh. like Legolas is pronounced legal loss. And I'm like, it is right not- right. 
Yeah. What dark, do your elf eyes see? Yeah, Dark Side, the uh, the DC Comics villain is not Dark right. Seed. Right. Uh, the authority member Midnighter is not Midnightier. Um, <laughs> but he kept doing that, and it was just like I I kept being like, "You're driving me nuts, man!" Like that's right. not the way it's pronounced. But he would always do long e's on stuff, and I'm like, "No, right. unless there's a unless there's a mark." Uh, yeah, not a long e, but. But yeah, but the it, thing it, at the beginning of the scene, yeah. I'm sorry, I just tried to get back on track before I oh, lose yeah, yeah. track of where I'm at. Yeah. Um, the thing at the beginning of the scene that I think is like legitimately brilliant, and it's in the book as well, is that you know the first real interaction we have with with uh, Chris is um, <clears throat> her saying, "This line is bullshit. Yeah. This movie is so badly written. What the hell?" Yeah. Um, I. I can't imagine a world where that's not a, a conscious effort by the author to to preemptively make you like more believing of the things that happened later in this film like like a really good use of lab shading yeah where like this character knows shitty writing when she sees it so we're gonna say that out of the way and get you on her side so later when all this crazy stuff happens you don't question it as much yeah yeah and then it's completely like lost like two seconds later because they're doing something else cool but it's still in your head yeah, yeah, I think so. They, think they right can't, right. they can't pull one over on this woman. No, no. Um, yeah, and Chris McNeil is a really, uh, really powerful character. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that she's very passive in the film, she can't, and in the book as well, she can't really do anything. Right. Um, but well, she's do she's everything. not. She's not passive as a as a character flaw, like a lot of people use the the term. I mean, she's oh, just yeah, like yeah. the plot itself. Like, what can she do? Exactly. That's I know I mean. that's what you meant, but I wanted our. Our oh, listeners, our, listeners, our two listeners to to, yeah. to to not think that we're saying she's like you know Bella from Twilight. Or, no, I mean the the role is yeah. passive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the character is not. Passive. Her options are limited to let other people deal with this. Yeah, which is part of the horror. Yes. Yeah, and it's a big part of the horror is mm-hmm. that Chris McNeil is desperately uh, uh, searching for some sort of solution, um, and it's the thing I, I I love the the parallel of you know she she takes her kid to the doctor. Uh, by the end of all of that medical stuff, she's undergone uh, some of the scariest moments in that yeah. film aren't even the possession shit. It's like her getting like a spinal tap. Right. Um, well, that was the, the scene where people seem to have fainted if, if in any accuracy that happened was was during the medical scenes, not during the possession stuff. Yeah. It was um, when they were doing the uh, the thing where they, they put the dye in the artery when they they tap her artery and you just, you just see like the blood spurting out like in yeah. such a realistic fashion. That was what made people queasy from yeah. what I could find that line. Yeah. Yeah. Then that makes a lot of sense. But, yeah. um, but the actual uh, uh, subtext of that, all of that right. is like they make at the, by the end of it, they make jokes of like, you know, uh, which doctor, you know, not, right. you know, but, uh, but the, the, the wonderful thing about the exorcist is sort of the idea of like, here is medical science and here's uh, medical right. science is treated as very archaic mm-hmm. um, and very, very medieval in its right. representation. Um, but where people get it wrong is that, it, that I think is that the exorcist, that the, the religious aspects aren't any better right. in this movie um, where they originally are having, you know, uh, Father Karras comes in and does like, you know, the holy water stuff. And he's like, right. it's actually not holy water. I was just fucking with her, um, right. you know, and I had to see yeah, it. In a lot of ways, it's it's up until the actual exorcism happens. It's almost like you know, what nowadays would be like an episode. Well, 
I was going to say an episode of House, but that hasn't been on for over 10 years. Um, but a, a medical mystery, you know, yeah. uh, procedural, like, you know, mm-hmm. Quincy back maybe in the 70s or I don't know. Are they still doing Grey's Anatomy? What what medical shows are still in the air? I'm pretty sure Grey's Anatomy is still on. I don't know how much okay. medical drama there actually is. In there, right. But, but the, the little... yeah, the kind of stuff like ER at House yeah. and whoever yeah. else. Certain it's... very special episodes of Scrubs. Right, um, right. Yeah, but yes, you're right. Uh, what we have is, is very much a, a beating as a medical mystery, I mean, even though we, the audience, know generally what we're in for. Right. Uh, in terms of, we know, we know we're dealing with a horror movie, so we know right. med- medical science and go, oh, well, we figured it out, she's schizophrenic, and now yeah. we give her pills and she's better. We know that's not going to work. But um, just the fact that they, they walk us through all those steps, because, I mean, some of, the, some of, the, some of Chris's reactions feel... Um, False to be nowadays, but uh, I'll 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 give you an example in a second. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but they might have been real at the time, like when she's having seizures and they don't take her to the hospital immediately. Mm. That that felt like what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe the seventies were different. Um, but what I was saying is like after you know she's like okay, my daughter has a problem. You know she goes and goes through all the medical hoops. Yes. gets her the best doctors and you know they have a scene where you know they have a room literal room full of full doctors. doctors yeah i love that scene there <laughs> um, are like 12 which, of them around the table with which, her, yeah she must be a really really famous actress uh because to afford that <laughs> back then they, yeah they now. well they established that she is <laughs> yeah but i mean like it's you know big deal yeah yeah like like a a list plus actress to afford all that um but the fact that they take the time to show us you know okay well she's getting you know brain scans she's getting you know uh, an mri in the loudest machine ever devised by a human being <laughs> yeah well, uh, they, didn't, they didn't they didn't make them they didn't make them quiet back then right right uh, yeah right. um and that makes it even more terrifying yeah. i think as time goes on because like you know these were probably the top of the line stuff back then and, oh yeah yeah um so they they take the time to show that okay Logic can't explain this before they start to get to the okay. Well, what are the other options? Yeah, and the the fact that they they circle back on itself with you know the doctor saying, "Well, try an exorcism; it might psych her out to yeah. stop to doing this." And then the exorcist is like, "Have you tried a psychiatrist?" Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, he is a psychiatrist, right? Yeah. But he's like, "No, you need to go to a mental hospital." You know, that's yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in the book, it, it's I think it's more it's more specific. We're going to we're going to end up doing that again. I think we're going right. to those guys like, that's well, in the book. Um, well, in the book, they talk about uh, the, very much how um, uh, Reagan's condition is being kept a secret. So the tabloids don't get it. Right. Um, because she is she's like a Nicole Kidman. Like yeah. she's like a huge like a huge star that. Yeah. And in the book, they send her to a hospital in Toledo for like, was it like 90 days or something or 60 days? A long time. It's a, it's a long period, a much longer yeah. period in the book than it is in the movie. Right. Um, even though the movie doesn't, the movie doesn't really address. It's something we'll talk time. about when we get to, when we get to part three, um, you know, where, where they talk about uh, Kinderman and Damien Karras being really close. Right. Uh, if you watch this movie, you're like, when were they And then you watch that? When were they close? <laughs> they had two right. scenes together. Uh, but the reality but, is, is that the story takes place over months. Like it, right, it's yeah. a long time. Uh, it's almost like it's either six months or almost a year. It's a long time. It's a long but, period of time. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't do that thing where every scene they have to put tell you what day it is uh, because it's not necessary for telling the story No, on no. film. But if you actually watch the movie and you're, you're paying attention, you right. realize that like all of these tests take yeah. time. But um, I, I didn't, I didn't, I almost wanted to like go look at like, you know, the, the kind of cinema sense for this. Cause I feel like somebody, some smash, snot nosed asshole was like, well, you can't get this many, you know, medical tests done in a month. <laughs> you know? mm. Well, no, it's not, it's not really what the, the film doesn't tell you how long it was. No, it doesn't. At all. No. Uh, only that they keep doing more right. tests uh, yeah. and the doctors. And, and as we, as you noted, like every single time we have, go back to the hospital, it seems like there's more and more doctors uh, because right. that's, and that's, that's truth in television right there. I mean, yeah. that's like, if you actually have a medical problem and you have all the money in the world to solve it, you right. will, you will end up having 13, 14 doctors, all of them different yeah. specialists being like, well, there's a guy who's dealing with your brain. Here's a guy who's dealing I, with cancer. Here's a guy. I would have. I would really like to see it in the director's cut um, a scene where like the doctors come together and vote on who has to talk to the, the mother and get screamed at. <laughs> well, they, they clearly have the guy. Her, her, right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, the... they, you've got all these doctors, you know, together in a room and like, you know, I don't know a whole lot about doctors, but you know, I know a lot of them have egos. Like, like I feel like they had to like decide who was going to talk. Yeah. And I think, I think at this point they all knew whoever was going to talk was going to get their ass chewed out. <laughs> so they're like, not me. You know? Yeah. The, um, the pediatrician. Right. Is the is, one who does most of the, most of it. And then the, the neurologist, uh, right. does some lines too. He's actually the one that has the, um, definitely archaic line of, of saying to Chris McNeil, now you might be, uh, you might be tempted to jump to psychiatry, but you right. shouldn't do that. Um, uh, whereas now I think a medical doctor would be like, I don't know, send her to a shrink. Right. You know, well, yeah, they're they, they're prescribing her like Thorazine and Ritalin like yeah. through her primary. Yeah. Which is not something they do anymore. No. I mean, no. but that, this movie was still at the time where where uh, psychiatry was accepted, but not super accepted. Right. Um, and so like the idea of like, and of course, what we really get from a psychiatrist's room is hypnosis. Um, and then the, uh, the suggestion of, a, of an exorcism. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, they say, well, yeah, there's like the, the you know, the, the victim's belief in their possession will right. allow an exorcism to be successful. Yeah. I mean, I, I buy it in the world. This, the movie's uh, set up because it's set up so well. But like if, if, if you or I were in a psychiatrist, they're like, have you tried an exorcism? I'd be like, Okay, first I need to talk to your manager. Yeah. And then I need to talk to whoever their manager is, because what mm. the hell? Well, it's also funny because that now everybody knows what an exorcism is. Back then they right. were... nobody Yeah. Mm. Um I think only... I want to talk about that a little bit at the end. Um, yeah, I think Yeah. Well, this movie this movie uh, obviously one of the things it's best remembered for at this point is that it uh it drove up uh church mm -hmm. uh, attendance. Right. Uh, like 100% or something. Like there was this like, wait, everybody went back to church because <laughs> they were so terrified of this movie. Um, uh, but I think yeah. at the time, the only ones who were actually, they, the movie more or less refers to it as like, you know, only the Catholics still do it and they, they have it in a closet. Right. Actually, I think the Baptists were doing it. I'm not sure on that though. I'd have to research uh, it more. But I think that... Yeah, but as far as like a, an actual like procedural treated as like a possible factual ritual i think it was really strictly the yeah. nobody respects nobody respects the baptists but the baptists nobody respects the church revival you know religion but yeah. them. i mean 
you know, Billy Graham started doing his thing in like what the fifties. I mean, so there's a lot of evangelical protest, Pentecostal. He protested the exorcist pretty heavily. Billy right. Graham. Yeah. But you know, like that whole, it wasn't really a televangelist thing by the time, but uh, the uh, revivalist, you know, movement was, was there and they, they were always doing stuff like that. The casting out of spirits. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I did, this is neither here nor there, but since we're talking about weird, you know, baptism things, I did have somebody try to faith heal my eye once at a Christian service. Uh, <laughs> Fun. Did obviously, it, it did not yeah, work. No, um, yeah. no, you know, but hey, I appreciate the effort. Yeah. Um, Thanks, Jesus. I, I, I gave twice as much that week because I was giving nothing anyways. So there you go. I actually did. A, uh, it's not my story to tell, but uh, someone told me a friend of a friend who um, was deeply traumatized. His parents mm-hmm. got him a, a Baptist exorcism Oof. and apparently it was it was it's full on abuse. You yeah, know, it's, it's an abuse story. It's not my, like I said, that's not why it's not mine to tell. Only but let's uh, let's let's just get that out of the way real quick, because we're sure. going to be dealing with the exorcist films uh, a, a total yeah. real world exorcisms yeah. are like you said they're abuse yes. they're they should be illegal they mm. they kill people yes these do. things yeah um and if they live they are not better for it and i'm not saying that because i'm an atheist i'm saying it because the case history shows it it's harmful yeah 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 it's a terrible thing to do and it's usually to children mm-hmm. um which you know fuck you yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Fuck you for doing that to kids because kids yeah. have no agency over themselves or very little at least. Nope. Um, yeah. So we're going to be talking a lot about the movie exorcisms yeah. in this. We're not condoning or even, you know, ignoring the fact that real world exorcisms are, should be outlawed entirely yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. They're very, very harmful events yeah. and they should not be, they should not be performed. Um, right. You know, even if you even if you really truly believe in in religion, like right. there's you know, just stick to your praying and your your faith healing. Because even you know. even as this this movie mentions, like exorcisms could go on in this movie universe for months. Yes, and it's an everyday thing, and you're basically you know just abusing a person every day until like you've decided a demon has come out of them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not yeah. good. No, it's not. No. That's and, part uh, of the reason the ex- the Catholic Church distanced itself from it. Yes. Yeah, because they they were getting they were getting requests. Right. Yeah. Suddenly, people. And there was were like, a, what about possession? Yeah. There was like a case in like Maryland, I think, like a, maybe ten years before this happened, with you know like an unsanctioned exorcism and the kid died or something. I, I think it was the inspiration for the book. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, Laddie had read about it. Um, at some point of uh, some histories of some exorcisms that were performed and was like, you know, holy shit. Right. Uh, and then he did what, you know, what good fiction writers do, which is, you know, make it real. Um, right. But even he didn't hide the fact that these are, you know, <laughs> things that should be happening. Cause even, you know, the priests are like, yeah, the last time they did an exorcism was like 500 years ago. And they were there like, try other things first, maybe. Well, they were like, Marin did it once, yeah. Right, yeah. And then Marin did it a while ago, like 20 years ago, and then we're right. like, you know, um, it didn't, and it wasn't great. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I can't David, remember if it was in, in the book or the movie, but they had mentioned, they had name-dropped like an exorcism from like, you know, uh, maybe like the post-Renaissance period where they're like, okay, let's not do that again <laughs> until, well, yeah, the, the until Roman, we do anything else. The Roman ritual and, and the exorcism stuff comes from um, the Book of Psalms initially, 
which right. were written by King David, uh, or you know, commissioned by King David. Yeah. I can't remember if he actually wrote them or he did them. But well, uh, when you're talking about who wrote the Bible, it's just yeah. not to get it. But anyway, but yeah, he. Uh, but the idea was King David had the you know these uh, spiritual armaments. Right. That if you say the Psalms, you'll be defended against evil, which was again um, one of the times that you know in in history that people believed there actually were right like demons like that there really was a devil and he could yeah. get you um and they were like as long as you you know perform these psalms that these are this is your uh, i think one of them even refers to it as like here's your sword here is right. your shield uh arm yourself with this with these uh this scripture and you can fight right. evil uh, and that's and, how they created bible men as well mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> the famous but, yeah. names character yeah but um, but yeah, I mean, it's all it all ties back. It's actually uh, a really fascinating history, but mm-hmm. um, which I don't know nearly as much as I should about. And so obviously, I'm not going to get into it too much. Um, but Blatty knew it. But I was just saying that the the book and the movie both take time to point out that like this is just a last desperate hail mary, pun intended, pass. You know. Yeah. Well, Karis is Karis spends bo- both narratives, whether book or movie, kind of saying like right. this is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Chris McNeil says she need he needs a she needs a priest, and he's like, uh, that's a bad idea. Um, like yeah. he's like, I can uh, why don't I start seeing her as a psychiatrist? And she's like, she's seeing a psychiatrist, right? You know, I need I I need this, and he's like, eh. and then he goes and you know talks to the monsignor, and they're like, yeah, he's like, right. yeah, okay, we'll do it. Um. Which is something that actually even even the, the movie doesn't really do. The, the book talks about a lot that Karis is actually a very medical, medical driven character in right. the book. Um, one of the things that, of course, what, one of my favorite things about reading the book is that the exorcism sequence is actually very different in the sense that there's like three other people in the room at all right. times. Right. Um, and that Reagan is uh, this movie just sort of has them like kind of like strap her to a bed. <laughs> her nightgown in the right. in the book uh she has like machines hooked up to her uh yeah. you know and karis is actually like overseeing most of that even in the exorcism scene as mary yeah, he's like, almost you know, he's almost like the attending physician at the same yeah. time he's checking book. her he's checking your id right. in the book while i shouldn't i shouldn't say he's he, he's almost like the, he is the yes. attending physician. yes that's he, kind of his purpose in the book really yeah At, by that point he's uh mm-hmm. the, i think the uh I think if memory serves, it's been a while since I've read the book, but I think Marin didn't really want him there in the first place. Right. Um, whereas in the, in the movie, it's just accepted that Karis will be involved. Um, yeah. I think yeah, that he, he, he wasn't deemed by Marin as necessary in the book, but he's like, I need to keep an eye on this kid that he kind of plays it from that angle yeah. in the book. You, at yeah, first. You... And in this they they're kind of like, well, Marin comes in and he doesn't even want to hear anything about the girl, which is kind of weird, but okay. You're the expert. <laughs> oh, in the, in the and then case. and then he's like, "Can you go get me my supplies?" And he's like, "Okay, I'm the gopher now, I guess." Yeah, yeah. In the in the book, actually, he fleshes that out with Karis feeling a little bit like a second wheel, a second right. banana, and he's uh, not really happy with it, but accepts it. There's a lot going on in the book that it gets a little deeper in the character right. that the uh, the movie doesn't have, but the movie simplifies a lot of stuff. Like we mentioned earlier, Karis asking for reassignment is cut down to uh, right. a couple lines of dialogue yeah. um his whole his whole relationship with Marin is stripped down to the bare mm-hmm. essentials for the film it still works 
Yeah, his um, relationships with almost anybody is stripped out because you mentioned, yeah. you know, Father Dyer, Father Dyer barely yeah. being in this. Yeah. I mean, they in the couple of scenes that they have together, you could get that like they care for they're, each other. They're best friends. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. Right. And in the book, there's so much more. But again, we're talking about taking a 10, ten and a half hour, you know, book and making it into is that a how long, movie. Is that how long the audiobook is? The audiobook was about 10 and a half hours to yeah. 11 hours. I can't remember which. But um, yeah. So it was, I mean, what, five times as long. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the wonderful thing about books, I, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, this is a good time as any to bring this up, which is actually because I mentioned the Karis, uh, the Karis and, and Marin dynamic in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a wonderful kind of monologue in the book that I think underscores what the story is really about. It's not in the mm-hmm. film. Right. Um, it's in the book after Karis has sort of been kicked out of the room by Marin during the exorcism. Marin comes yeah, out because that was after that was after uh, the demon starts talking shit about his mother, wasn't it? Was I believe so? Him out? I believe yeah. so. Marin kicks him out of the room, but Marin Axel comes out of the room with him, mm-hmm. and it's uh, the whole point when Marin shows up in the book. Uh, Karis and Chris McNeil are both like, "Thank God!" Uh, I think they even refer to him as Superman. Superman's right. here, and he's yeah. going to take care of this. Like we, they, they're so so uh stricken by his confidence and his his right. presence that they're like he's gonna kick ass right, right. Uh, and karis believes that right up until they go into the exorcism when they come out he notices immediately the facade uh drops away and Merritt is just a drug addict right um and it's a great moment we realize his hands are shaking and karis is suddenly like oh shit we're in trouble here mm-hmm. like because i can't handle this it was heart medication i thought uh i thought it was opium mm, could be i'd have yeah. to i can't re-check. i can't remember uh i think the movie implies it's a it's a drug i think in the uh, in the movie it's de- it's it's definitely heart medication because that's how he dies yeah. yeah they even show like him like trying to get his pills out and like yeah. it was the, the way his body was situated like he was trying to get his pills out and his heart gave yeah. up either way either and, way yeah. you're probably right but he, probably he's agree. he's a weak he's 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 a lot weaker than they had anticipate him to be he's he's not in good health he's struggling with making his body do what it needs to do to do the job yeah but um, Marin has the speech yeah. in the book where he says uh he he notices damien noticed mm-hmm. and he's kind of like trying to give damien the the heads up that like you're gonna have to be the one that takes care of this at the end of the day right um but he has this wonderful monologue where he talks about um when i was a young priest uh he was uh you know uh an archaeologist phd in archaeology and anthropology uh handsome powerful everybody was in awe of him and he's enamored with himself and he says you know i no one was above me but god right and then he says uh but then god told me i you know the in the scriptures that i have to love my neighbor and love my fellow man he's like how can i love them you know how can i love these lepers you know how can i love these these starving people um they were they revolt me you know mm. how do i you know he's like when that's the thing he so i was despairing because i couldn't do this one thing that right. god wanted me to do the simple thing that god wanted me to do and then he says but here's the thing uh i realize i don't actually have to love them i have to act with love towards them like right. minister to the sick i feed the poor i you know you know i wash the leper that's right. what i have to do and he's like, and that's when he kind of says, like, Damien, your your crisis of faith is not relevant here. Mm-hmm. 
what, you know, it's not about whether or not God is actually real or not and whether or not the choices you've made, it's the choices you're about to make. That's what matters. Um, And that's why it irritates me when people call it like religious propaganda, Um, because ultimately I'm like, this ultimately says that it's not Damien Karras, the priest does not save Reagan McNeil. The the psych uh, Dr. Damien Karras, the psychiatrist does not save Reagan McNeil. Damien Karras, the man saves Reagan. The human. Right. Yeah. He, uh, where he goes, says, then that in the book, it's particular, it's really specific because after that mm-hmm. speech, and, and then Karras, uh, Marin dies, right. Karras then says, I don't know what else to do mm-hmm. except walk into that room and say, Come into me, right. let's fight. You and me, let's yeah. fight. We're gonna fight. Mano y mano. Yeah. yeah, that's it. He comes in and says, You son of a bitch, get you know, let's fight. Right. And uh, the demon says, Thought you'd never ask, and they <laughs> right, uh, and it goes right into him, and then he has the he has the strength of will. Uh, in the, in the, I noticed it actually, I watched the, um, the extended cut, not the version mm-hmm. you've never seen, but the extended cut this last right. time, uh, there's a flash of his mother, mm-hmm. uh, in the window and he sees his mother, uh, which helps him give the strength to dive out the window and kill himself rather than harm Reagan. Right. Um, you know, and that's what allows Damien Karras to win. It's not, not faith that wins no. the day here. It's not Catholicism that wins the day. here. It's humanity. It was humanity. Right. It's and that's. That- this, you know, we talked about, you know, this being the prototypical, you know, exorcist movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in the title, guys. Um, yeah. But but also this is like secular as fuck. I mean, yes. you don't have, I mean, I guess, I think if you were, <laughs> and I can't speak for personal experience because I wasn't there at the time, but I've never been a Catholic. I was raised in a practicing Catholic household, which means we, you know, they went on Christmas and Easter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and then my brother uh, got leukemia and the church wasn't there to help them, but uh, other churches were. And so we're like, all right, well, fuck you, Catholicism. Yeah. Anyways, I'm just saying, like, that was, you know, that was the extent of my experience with Catholicism. Like, I think it made them more susceptible to being scared by this movie, but it it's not necessary. You don't even have to, like, understand that much about Christianity. Um, because they tell you what you need to know, and the rest is like evil, evil, good, good. And let's mm. let's go. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And what's good here in this movie and in Legion, the mm-hmm. sequel, one of the points, the point of that book too, is ultimately like this isn't about faith. This right. is about being a good person. Um, yeah. and sometimes that and faith line up. Right. Um, you know, uh, and I think one of Blatty's core, in fact, when it works, when it works properly, it should line up all the time. But, you know, humans get involved and things get messy. Yeah. It's even the point of uh, the ninth configuration, which is another film. Mm -hmm. Blatty Blatty actually directed the adaptation of the film also has Jason Miller in it. But uh, but the entire point of like all those books, the only three books I've read by him at some point, Mm -hmm. I'll read more. But those three books, those the same. Yeah. uh, Those three books are all about. uh, you know, the idea that faith alone does nothing. Can't sustain us anymore. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry. Yeah, I was going to religion. religion. Yeah. But yeah, faith alone doesn't, faith alone does not work by itself. It can't work in a vacuum. What mm. faith can do at best is cause, is cause good people to be better. Right. Um, it's there uh, to help you, help you if you have to make a split decision and, yeah. to do the right thing. Because ultimately, and, the faith in this movie, the only, the only, the only service faith has in this is, uh, is reminding Damien Karras that he made, right. he made decisions based on, on trying to love his fellow man. Yeah, 
And so, I mean, there's a great scene. It's not really mentioned. It's meant, it's in the movie a little. He's sitting there after he's kicked out of the room and uh, Chris McNeil comes up and asks if she's going to die. And right. he uh, looks at her and says, no, I'm going back up there. I'm going to make sure Reagan doesn't die. Right. In the book, it's actually a little bit more advanced. He's looking through a photo album mm. of Reagan, of pictures of Reagan and his mother. Uh, and she, and uh, Chris McNeil says, I just realized you never met Reagan, right. not the real Reagan. And that's yeah. what sort of gets him to be like, I can't let this kid die. Well, that that the fact that at that point in the book, they literally have a ticking clock yeah. um, because they had mentioned that, you know, her her heart is giving out. It's, it's <coughs> right. going to go soon if she if we don't get her out of this. Yes. Yeah. It's at the end of the day. Yeah. Her, her, right. her, she The kid cannot survive much longer. Yeah. She hasn't um, slept in like, you know, five days and yeah. her heart rates all over the place. And, you know, yeah. That's what I mean, the most powerful thing about this in this story to me is the idea of Damien Karras kind of being like, uh, the, this collar doesn't matter. My PhD right. doesn't matter. The only thing, the only weapon that I really have and the thing that makes me who I am is that I care about right. other people. And ultimately the answer is this kid that I've never met. I don't know her. I don't know what her future is yep. going to be like. I don't know. She could be the next Hitler. We have no idea. But right. I, all I know is that right now she's an innocent victim of something truly monstrous. And the only thing right. I've got is two hands, you know? Yeah. And so I'm going to go in there and I got two hands and a heart and that's all I got. And here he goes in and says, all of that stuff, leaving it behind. Um, mm. I don't know if I believe in God. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I think I failed my mom, but it doesn't matter. I'm not right. going to fail this person. You know, yeah. which is another core element of the character is that his mother dies, uh, you know, starving in a crappy hospital because he rather than going into psychiatry and becoming extremely uh, exceedingly wealthy, he chose right. vow of poverty and joined the Jesuits. Yeah. And so it's, and in the book, it's even it even it's harder because, um, like I said, you know, he wanted to get a leave of absence to, yes. to go care for his mother. And they said no. They said no. Um, so like he's taking on all the burden of, you know, quote unquote, letting her die, mm -hmm. even though rationally he should know that, you know, there's, it was really out of his hands from the start. I mean, I guess he could have quit the order, but I yeah. guess that, that didn't occur to him. But even that's not that it's, easy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a case of, you know, like I said, you know, where it's, he's blaming himself for having normal human failings, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. not doing the right thing at the moment once, you know, should necessarily be the end of you you know yeah but it's a major thing you know right the, yeah the idea that and, he believes but he's giving himself a lot of like you know un unearned criticism for it uh, yeah. yeah well i mean that's what that's what a crisis of faith is though you know right. when you it, that, that's what powerful idea of when you reach your you're reaching your 40s and you start looking at your life and being like man did i make the wrong decisions you know i mean that's such a terrifying idea to be like you know and then to have his mother die and his, his, his uncle kind of says like, yeah. you know, if only you had gone right. to be a real doctor. Well, he doesn't kind of say, he, he says, says it. it as a direct matter as you can and not get yeah. punched in the face. Yeah. He says, if you Which had, you if you had gone into medicine, right. real medicine and not Catholic medicine, yeah. you would be made of money and your mother would right. have been, you know, living a life of luxury and had the best doctors and best money uh, and best medical care money can buy. But you chose God. But even then, I mean, you know, like that's why I think he's he's criticizing himself unfairly because, of like, she is. yeah, she was she was not in a good state. I yeah. mean, she was having you know diabetic ulcers at her feet, mm. um, 
uh, I'm pretty sure she was a week from losing that foot. Um, <laughs> she had edema. It's just, she, you know, her, her brain's like, you know, falling apart. Yeah. Uh, you know, she was just about a week off from like a stroke that would kill her, you know, yeah. the best of situations. Um, yeah. Well, even if he'd gotten his leave of absence, it was not Bobby. Yeah. Not like he he would have been there when she died. That yeah. would have been the difference. Yeah. Uh, which uh, I, I do think is important not to die alone um, or to be with people, you know, that you care mm-hmm. about with dying, but yeah. it's kind of, kind of like beat yourself up to the point of, you know, I, I'm sure he had like some sort of suicidal ideation from that. Yeah. That's how yeah. bad he was taking it. But the whole point is that he, he chose, he made a choice when he was right. younger to, 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 uh, to serve God. Right. So in his mind, he's like, I chose, I chose this rat instead of her, right? Uh, instead of my family, uh, you know, and, and even though, you know, again, rationally speaking, his mother was probably super proud of him. Right. And then in the book, in the book, it makes a lot more sense because they do talk about his childhood and how his mother like begged for money on the street mm. and, you know, like they could barely afford their apartment, even in the shitty neighborhood. Yeah. Um, there's a little part where you've, thinks about you know taking a girl on a date and then coming home and you know walking her home and they see his mother like picking through the trash and how yeah. embarrassed he was um so i think you know that a lot of that you know the self-hatred was kind of built in you know a long ways there's a lot of melancholy in this character oh yeah even on screen you know well, jason yeah let's talk go about way jason deeper miller. jason yeah. miller in this movie he's a was a theater actor Right. Um, uh, was having some difficulty getting a play uh, up and running at the time. Uh, I think another unfortunate uh, alcoholic. Yeah. Um, sadly, sadly, uh, I think it ultimately killed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, um, but he was uh, this really committed stage actor, uh, and he is. Uh, uh, it's one of my all-time favorite performances in any film. Uh, yeah. Jason Miller as Father. Karras. I mean. It's such a good performance that we've spent, you know, so much time talking about it, but we haven't even like really mentioned, you know, Max von Sydow's great performance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how good it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, it's such a haunting performance. It is, yeah. it's such a troubled performance. You know, every scene right. he's in, we can see the, uh, we can see all of these, this huge uh, myriad of, of emotions that he's going through, right. uh, you know, you know, uh, and, and and how, how frustrated and angry he is uh, comes across a lot. I love when he goes to the hospital to see his mother and the the they see his priest outfit. The other yeah, they swarm him yeah, and he starts basically. like shoving them. Like he's right. like he's like you could t- you, he's like you, he's like one second away from just popping one of them in the face. Right. Um. And he's a priest. Yeah. He's like he's like I'm so angry. And then that they cut to him just ruining a punching bag. Mm-hmm. In a you know and. Uh, and just that that concept of like you know here's a man who is, is so and that sad. was and that was the point where you know we you know we literally saw like I don't know what, what do they call that neck piece on a, on a priest uh, uh, collar yeah the I know, collar. They have a, I know we, it has a they, term we, like what, we actually watched the collar get ripped to where it's just hanging off of a, that scene yeah yeah it's barely hanging like, on well, I don't need to shout metaphor at this point do do I, <laughs> I mean, yeah and I mean you know it's intentional. Because yeah, exactly. that's the type of attention, that's the type of attention to detail that Blatty and Freakin were putting into this film. Right. Um, that everything is meaningful. Uh, you know, like we mentioned, a lot of stuff that everything that happens in the movies in the book um, is in service to something. Yeah, it's it was just it's the stripped down version 
where everything of meaning is in the book and in, is in the movie uh right. the book is more detailed yeah um and like uh, the book like, spends a lot of time talking about like how many times Reagan shits the bed yeah uh, we don't need that in the movie we but it's real it. yeah yeah Right. It's real, but yeah, it's uh, it's but it, yes, it's it's in there, and like uh, like I said, there's some other details. Uh, whole subplot. Uh, uh, I love the fact that Kinderman is still in the movie, even though he doesn't actually do anything in the book. He's a much bigger presence. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we fact, do need to talk about Kinderman. Yeah, because uh, that's another great performance in like almost a different movie entirely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll talk it about, comes, we'll talk about Kinderman but, a lot in two weeks, but yeah, when we right. we do Exodus three, but. But we come, but it, it, I say it's almost like another movie because it kind of is a side plot to the main story, but it's in service to the movie. I mean, the, the, the choice Kinderman makes at the end of this film is the same as Father Karras makes. Yes. Um, through the course of this movie, Kinderman, you know, plays, first of all, he's, he's, Jew, he's Jewish yes. in the book. Um, no. I, they kind of imply he's Jewish, but they don't, I don't think they take the time to say it. No, I could be wrong. Not in the film anymore. Um, right. So you already know that he's he's not a believer in exorcisms and, and the Catholic Church in general. The, mm-hmm. Probably like everyone else, he doesn't even know what a Jesuit is until you know he hears watches this movie later on. Right. Uh, um, but he's he's playing you know that almost almost like a stereotype of the you know Colombo esque cop. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. The, oh, what another thing, cop that you know yeah. was. I don't know when that started, but I feel like it was fairly new at that point, and I think yeah. this helped it along mm-hmm. uh, because he's a very unassuming gentleman. He, he often comes off as you know buffoonish or frazzled, but his mind is actually like a steel fucking cage. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he he doesn't let you know that he's picking up on things, but he he solves the case himself, which should have been an impossible case to solve. Yeah. Uh, the case of the director falling out a window down a flight of stairs to his death, which in the theatrical uh, version that isn't really even directly connected to Reagan very well, right? Uh, in the in um, the extended director's cut, she outright tells Damien Karras that Reagan killed Bert right. Dennings. You have to be you have to be a um, you have to be paying attention. You have to pay attention to, to know it um, yeah. because you know that she she the whole neck turnaround thing that is that yeah I mean, that's her laughing about killing the director uh, mm-hmm. that yes um you know and then the only line she really gets is like do you know what your cutting daughter did to me yeah. that's it um but um uh, they don't really talk to the medical examiner that much of this film so like no. you know they the only reason he's pursuing this case is because the, the the head was turned all the way around and they said that's almost impossible to happen from a fall down the stairs yes so any other cop in the real world or in almost any other movie would be like, okay, well, let's just say he fell down the stairs. That's it. I'm fucking busy. We've, got, we've, <laughs> um, talked, we've talked about this many times. Yeah. The, right. the, the reality of the reality of the horror film was people just sort of putting blinders on and not right. bothering with any of it. Yeah. And, and in real life too. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, cops want to solve cases that are easy to solve. Yeah. Um, you know, this guy takes the time to, you know, talk to everybody involved and some people not involved. Mm. Um, he pieces together what you know should seem to be anybody to be impossible that you know a twelve year old girl ripped a guy's head almost clean off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then what does he do with that information? He sees what's going on with Regan. He sees what's going on with you know with with Chris 
McNeil and he sees what's going on with Father Karras and he's like, okay, they're doing everything they can for this girl who I know killed somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, this girl seems to be in, you know, serious condition. Yeah. But I feel like at the end of the day, they're going to take care of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that be put her in a psychiatric hospital or whatever. And he decides to drop it. Yes. Which I, I that could be the end of your career right there. You could go to jail for that. I mean, yeah. um, and he does it because it's the right thing because what's the gain from this? Yeah. Do you, think he, perspective? Do you think he lets it go? I've always implied, I mean, obviously we're jumping ahead a little bit because uh, uh, Legion kind of covers it a little bit, but right. I, I always yeah. thought that he goes along with uh, the, the great lie that mm. Kinderman, Dyer, and McNeil do is that Damien Karras killed Burt Dennings. That's no, all because he he knows he knows it's Reagan by the end. Um, he does, but the, that's what I mean. It's the lie. What they mm-hmm. tell everybody is Damien Karras killed Burt Dennings. Well, I uh, mean, but that was that was because I, I feel like he already decided by that point that he wasn't going to go after this little girl. That's what I'm talking about, though. I'm not. I'm. I'm not. Dis, I'm not disputing what you're saying. I'm saying that. Oh, okay. the, the, I think the, he lets it go. I think he had already decided to let it go, and then the Harvey Dent. Uh, Dark Knight solution comes into play, and they're, he's like, "All right, well, that's that's good. That's we'll blame, good. yeah, exactly. We'll drop this, yeah. yeah. We'll right. blame it. We'll blame it on Damien Karras. So he actually, uh, he still does his job, right? He's just fingering the wrong guy. He goes mm-hmm. going along with the lie that right. uh, because he had as you, the the what 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 Kinderman ultimately puts together is there's a desecration of the church. Blink and you right. miss it, the damn movie. But there's a desecration yeah. in the church. But that'll come uh, back later in three. Yeah, you know. but he also, but Kinderman says, so I'm, my assumption is that this is connected to the death of Bert Denning, which of course it is. Reagan right. did the desecration of the church as well. Yeah. Um, and he starts off thinking it was like cult activity, like a that, satanic cult. Yeah, or then he, but then he suspects a priest, which is right. what gets him to talk to Karis in the first place. Is he says, well, no, no, no. He, at first he talks to Karis because he's trying to get information on cults. Um, at first, he suspects the uh, the Swedish uh, houseman in the book, right, and in the movie because uh, they they do have a uh, they they do the setup where it's at the party and the Dennings is harassing. I forget yeah. the character's name, and he's like, "I'll kill you!" I'll ki-. and then he, he yeah. um, I I think that's why he was at the house in the first place is to talk to everybody involved and. Mm-hmm drawing a blank as to whether he outright states that he suspects him, but I definitely got the feeling in the book that he was suspicious of, of him because well, in the book he's he the one who had the motive. In the, in the book, he, <laughs> and, right, yeah. he, he thinks it's definitely him. He follows right. him around. He ends up finding out the whole subplot of finding out Carl, mm-hmm. uh, Carl the manservant, is uh, bringing money to his heroin-addicted daughter. Right. Um, and uh, finds all that out, and that's when he also makes another choice to, to leave that guy alone. Right. Because he's like, well, that's the saddest thing I've ever seen. You know, yeah, because like, you know, he, he's, he's almost like the priest of this movie because, you know, yes, he's a force for good. Yeah. Um, ostensibly, uh, mm-hmm. was, at least in the movie world, we'll say, because priests and cops are not always so beside of good, but yeah. <laughs> in the real world. Um, so he's a force for good. And he does take into account, like, you know, is what I'm doing going to make things better or is it going to make things worse? And yeah. he's a character that, you know, like you said in the book, he does it twice. Yes. Right? He did, he makes the choice to make things better, mm. almost three times because he talks to the to the man's daughter and says, "I'm going to arrest you unless you go to uh, go to get uh, rehab." Yeah, 
even though he has no intention of actually doing that, but he's like, right. yeah, maybe it'll, it'll make her do it. Yeah. And, it, and she does. She does. Yeah. She goes and gets better. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, she and... saves, he saves the, the house guy from being the easy, easy hit for this, for this yeah. murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, any court in the world would, would have probably convicted him on the evidence he had at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, especially if you start bringing into that he was fired from another housekeeping job for stealing drugs, which we find out later by. But yeah, uh, so yeah, I mean, this guy makes always makes the choice of what's, what will do the least harm. Yeah, but what's interesting about Arlie Cobb's performance, as you said, he's like you know the it's the doddering guy who's also a steel right. trap. Where uh, when he talks to Damian Karras, he starts to he starts to suspect it mm-hmm. um, uh, of the crime. Right. Uh, you know, he he you know, he talks to Carl. He he goes into the house and knows something's wrong when he talks to Chris McNeil. Mm. He disguises himself as like a fanboy. Right. You know, and we imply he really, really is. I mean, yeah. he's a film buff. But um, he uh, but also it's like he gets into the house and he immediately goes like everybody's hiding something. Right. I don't know what it is. And I, I'm almost certain it's the kill who actually killed Bert Dennings is what you're hiding yeah. from me. And it's true. Right. You know, they are hiding that it was the 12 year old girl who was possessed by the devil. Uh, you know, um, well, a devil, a devil, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but yeah, I mean, like, but yeah, it's it's interesting that you know, this that he puts together first of all, like the desecration of the church and the death of pretendings are related. Right. Um, it's uh, and then ultimately, and that's what what's interesting about it is that the lie, the, as you said, the Harvey Dent scenario, you know, right. uh. It all does work where they're like Damien Carrot, where they ultimately what they the, the story that's cooked up is Damien Carris was obsessed with Chris McNeil. Mm-hmm. He used Reagan's illness to get into the household, killed mm-hmm. Bert Dennings in a fit of jealous rage, and then was going after Reagan right. when Kinderman showed up. And so he dives out the window. Right. Uh, and that's uh, and it's which is really sad because Carris yeah. Carris uh, uh, you know literally goes through hell to, to right. solve this problem. But, and now his name, name is ruined in you know, the yeah. real world. You know? But as you said, the whole theme of this is humanity is what's going to redeem Reagan McNeil. Right. Not, uh, not religion, not law, not, not right. medical science. Uh, human, human feeling mm-hmm. is, what's, is the hero of this story, whether it's from Damien Karras or whether it's from uh, Lieutenant Kinderman. That's just Detective Kinderman here. He's the right. yeah. Kinderman later. But right. um, but yeah, it's it's this fascinating idea that's prevalent in all, in at least those three works of Blatty's, which is always the right. idea that um, what what really is going to save what really saves people is mm-hmm. not praying, it's it's doing the right thing, right? Uh, you know, even if that even if that especially if that right thing is hard, yeah. Um, and that's and it, it's uh, it's very meaningful. And so it, it, it rankles me a little bit when people call it like religious propaganda, because I'm kind of like right. it's it's making it well, clear that religion isn't really helpful here. Well, do you, do you want to get to the real uh, the real antagonist of this series? That's popular culture. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's let's talk about how this was. You know, I, I, I know a lot of people do say it's religious propaganda, but like I, I get where that's coming from because it's been used as religious propaganda True. Ever, ever since. Um, and not because it's the movie's fault. It's just like the way people perceive things, and you know, people that maybe weren't watching the film or, or paying that close attention to the film or just knew the the highlight reel. You know, yeah, yeah. 
um you know to this day i still meet people who like are like hardline like spiders in my hair reaction to like people even talking about using a Ouija board. Mm. <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's the easy level stuff that like like this had an impact on culture of there really wasn't that much in fact Parker Brothers yeah. uh, discontinued right. the use of the Ouija board for years, decades right. in fact, I think after this movie it, came out. It, it it saved it but it also like turned it into like this thing that people are scared of. Um yeah. And and part of the reason they, I think they used it in the book and, and in the movie was because it's just like this quaint board game version of like, you know, 19th century spiritualism. Yeah. Um, they needed a way to get the demon of the house and that or edge of the girl, I should say. She was, he might have already been at the house at that point, yeah. but to get into the girl, but like people today are still like afraid of Ouija boards. They just yeah. been, they had a whole series of Ouija movies and mm-hmm. whatever else. Yeah. Um, this was coming like what, like five years after the Manson murders? Yeah. Um, where things were starting to turn from like the spirituality of like the late 60s, the new age spirituality yeah. of the late 60s to the satanic panic of, of the late 70s mm-hmm. and uh, through the 80s. Yep. Um, I think this movie, and again, I'm not saying this movie should take the blame. No, but the perception of this movie played a lot into that. Yeah, um, the because people were, for whatever reason, you know, afraid that this movie was real, yeah. um, that this could happen, that this movie was a statement of fact, even though it never said it was. Um, it just kind of implied that these things happened, and it took a very realistic approach to it. Yeah, because it's, very, it's, a, a, it's an unbelievably right. matter-of-fact movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, and I it's think that tricked a lot of a lot of society into thinking of it as a, a movie that's a statement of fact. Yeah, um, I don't want to get too far in, off the rails, but I mean, you know, you could draw a line from the Manson murders to this movie through the Satanic Panic onto shit like QAnon today, where they're talking about like Democrats, you know, in Satanic cults eating children's faces. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Hillary Clinton eats babies, or right? Whatever, yeah. And and some of that is because of the popularity of this movie and the popular misconceptions of this movie and that's kind of drives me fucking crazy sure yeah. i can't i can't stand this you know religious paranoia yeah yeah but yeah and it's always been i mean obviously we don't want to get too into the uh into our our atheist well right uh, you identify as atheist i i do not i identify as agnostic right um if I, I'm correct on that, right? You you do. Um, I I most of the time I identify to people as an atheist because I don't want to explain the concept of yeah. it should not matter to us what God thinks at this point. Right. We should just do it because it's right. Mm. Kind of like this movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> whether or not I I don't believe in gods, but whether or not there is a God doesn't affect my judgment, and it should. No. That's that's the yeah. long version. So I just go atheist. Yeah, it, it, at this point, yeah. mostly people identify. Most people that identify, I've said, I think I've said this before, right. outright. That most people who identify as atheists aren't actually atheists. I, if but, I were going to write down like the the actual thing, I was it, it's it's a post theist. Yeah, because um, it shouldn't matter to us. No, we gotta we gotta move out of Dad's house eventually. Sure, <laughs> we can live on our own. True, but yeah, I mean, you had mentioned also. I mean, in, in regards to this specific film. Um, and about religious propaganda in this mm-hmm. film. I mean, you had mentioned, of course, that this, you know, this movie spawned hundreds, 
right. of exorcism films, most of those actually do play it straight, right? Where the priest performing the exorcism really is the hero. Yeah. Um, although usually they they tend to fail. Most of the possession mm-hmm. films usually end up having, um, uh, you know, unlike the Exorcist, don't have a happy ending. Right. Uh, well, well, I don't think a lot ending. of people. I don't think a lot of people feel that this is a happy ending either. And I would say, I I can't remember the other film I've mentioned it recently. And like this is the best possible ending. Yes. <laughs> um, I think it was. I think Fire Walk with me. I mentioned that. Like I, I think that's the best possible ending for Laura. Palmer. Right. Yes. Um. In this, like, how aside from the hand of God reaching down and undoing everything, this is the happy ending, guys. This. Is, well, the I girl is it, the girl happy, is saved. Yes, uh, it's a happy ending. Good wins over evil. Saved. Yeah. 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 Um. It's a happy ending because uh, because Reggie McNeil is saved, and that's right. that was the goal. And we um, showed that good did prevail over evil. I mean, not necessarily God over the devil. But no, no, yeah. Damien Karras does the right thing and saves the girl, and that's and that's what's it. And then, as you pointed we'll out, other characters make the same decision to honor that, right? Uh, honor that 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 sacrifice, um, and um, that is a happy ending. And I mean, I think the and sadly the series goes on to undo that time and time again. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll get yeah. into that. We'll get into that. But yeah, like even even Legion that you know I fucking love, yeah. like. Kind of undoes part of this ending to make it like a worse ending. It it comes back around though. We'll, we'll yeah. talk about that. Yeah, when we talk about yeah. It. we'll get there. But we'll yeah, get there. but yeah, Exorcist Three still ends with it with ultimately it being uh, still kind of honored. But yeah, um, Fab- Fabio wins in the end of Exorcist Three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, and by the way, uh, speaking of bad takes, guys, Exorcist Three is not better than Exorcist. All right, it's just yeah. But I I don't want to get specific, but uh, because we'll get to that movie. But yeah, I can see why people like the third, like it, over the first. it better. Yeah, liking it better doesn't make. Well, that's that's, that's the B I always have in my body, and you know this is when people conflate things I like with things being good, things I don't like with things being bad, yeah. and variations on that theme. It drives me fucking crazy. Yeah, my head will spin around and I will puke vomit on you. Yeah, Nathaniel's yeah. seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Yeah, he's been yeah. there. He's had to. Yeah, clean no, up. <laughs> The Exorcist is one of the greatest movies ever made. The Exorcist right. Three is a pretty fun uh, right. uh, police procedural film. Right. Um, I, I run the risk of saying it too many times in too close a succession, but like this is like on my short list of films that are almost entirely perfect. Yes, um, it really is as as perfect as they come. Yeah, um, in any even, of even versions. Yeah, right. Yeah, the three yeah, I, versions I, of this film I talked on, perfect. I talked online about you know watching the theatrical cut and i kind of jokingly referred to it as the version you shouldn't see mm. which was i think people took seriously and i'm like it's it's not serious i yeah. love all the versions yeah, it's just it's good, yeah. it's for a while that was the only version you could get on home media yeah so I'm like i'm like i need to go back and watch theatrical because i kind of remember the version you did you haven't seen more than the yeah. theatrical cut at this yeah point. i haven't seen the theatrical cut in years uh um, right I think I still have a VHS copy of it in storage. Um, then uh, I think I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. Um, and I actually was surprised the Blu-ray I have was actually the extended director's cut. I well, thought it I've was got... the version you've never seen. Oh, uh, it was not. I it wonder the what the other one. Because I have the I have the Blu-ray anthology, which I, uh, I uh, 
Just I have the, I have a regular regular Blu-ray. I just have a single Blu-ray. Right. Uh, I don't. So have so it has it has the theatrical. It has what I think is the version you haven't seen, but it might mm. be that did. And then it has two, three, four, and five. Yeah. Or however you want to number them. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I will say I checked. Uh, I checked it by. I have a. I have an app that I track my movies with, and I checked to see if I had Exorcist to the Heretic. And I saw it in the app, and then I went to look for it, and I couldn't find it. All I saw was The Exorcist and the Shout Factory version of Exorcist 3. Mm. So I ordered Exorcist 2 off the Shout Factory site. And then I went to watch The Exorcist, and I realized that what I was reading as The Exorcist was The Exorcist, the complete anthology. Mm. (laughs) And I got another version of 2 coming. So, oh, well, there you go. But it's the shot factory, so it'll do it justice. I'll, well, I mean, we when we yeah. talk about Exorcist too, we'll we'll have to we'll have to actually have to decide if we're going to watch the John Borman director's cut or the theatrical mm. cut of that. Movie. It depends. It depends on if I get the Exorcist two in time. Um, yeah, yeah. But I have the I have the shot factory Blu-ray. Of Exorcist okay. II, so, uh, and I have yet to watch. I'm going to watch the John Borman because I don't think I've watched it yet. But anyway, we're getting way off track. Right. Right. Um, sorry. But yeah, like, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the. It is a perfect movie, I think, in many ways. Uh, uh, I actually remember it's one of the few movies, as an adult, I went and saw the version you never saw, the version you were seen at the theaters. And I, cr- I screamed. I actually cried out in the movie during the spider walk, the, the that, added spider walk scene. That, that was cool to see. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know about you, but I had grown up reading about this, you know, yeah. deleted sequence. And like, it was finally, they, they found it, they restored it. Um, and I'm like, holy shit, that works really well. Uh, yeah, it's a great scene. Uh, I will say, watching, I watched watching the Blu-ray of this of the theatrical cut, and this is, I think they went back and did some wire fixes and stuff like that for the mm-hmm. version you've ever seen. Yeah, um, they did a little special editioning, you know, fixes. Yeah, even in the straight up like remaster of the theatrical cut, like I was watching on my 75 inch screen the the scene where she levitates. Yeah. And I had to really look to find the wires. Oh yeah, really, really look. Yeah, that's how well they did that. They did this movie. That's how much care they took. You know, yeah. they they shot it so so perfectly that the wires are nearly hidden, even in high definition on a big screen when you're sitting. You know, what five six feet away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The funny thing is that the the version you never saw. I, I like I said, I screamed. And then the thing is, the funny thing is that I went to see that movie with two friends. I think there were like, we were three out of five people in the damn theater. There was nobody right. else there. So at the end of the run, uh, which the, the re-release of the film didn't do all that great anyway. But yeah. um, the uh, but we went and saw it and they laughed at me for screaming during that. But you know what happened at the end of the night? Um, mm-hmm. I get home and this is back in the, uh, uh, I'm dating myself here. This is back in the AOL instant messenger days. All right. Mm-hmm. I get, uh, I'm sitting there uh, kind of just chilling out and I get, I hear, do-do-do, both of them have sent me a message. They're terrified at home. They're at home now. <laughs> right. Freaked the fuck out because of The Exorcist. They right. were, uh, they were, they, it, they, they laughed it off in the theater. They were like, oh yeah, okay. They yeah. went home, and they were terrified. And one of them specifically, yeah. I remember, pointed out it's, uh, it's actually I think cut back out of the extended edition. When mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene, Chris McNeil comes home and the lights are flashing mm-hmm. in the kitchen. Uh, and there's right. a white, the white face pops up, the demon face right. in the background. For whatever reason, that image stuck in in uh, my, one of my friend's heads that she mm-hmm. went home and couldn't stop seeing it. So she was like in her kitchen, right. 
like looking over her shoulder, being like, is there a face behind me? Um, and uh, they cut down those in the, the extended edition, um, which is probably for the best because the 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 version of had it a, used it a lot. Yeah, they leaned real heavily on on that. Not that it wasn't a subliminal good message, right? Yeah. They leaned a little too hard on it. In yeah, that cut. Yeah, I think it's really the one of the only real major differences between the extended director's cut and the version you never saw was cutting those down. I think um, on the and the spider and the well, no, the spider walk. Oh, the, the oh, the extended. I'm sorry. Extended, yeah. yeah. Between right. those two, yeah, the theatrical right. cut had a lot more going on. Um, right. uh, it had a lot less going on, rather. The theatrical cut uh, didn't have that. It didn't have Spider Walk. It didn't have. Um, it didn't have um, uh, Kinderman and Dyer hooking up, did they? In the theatrical cut, at the end of the movie. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I don't think so. No, I think it just well, you, ended. You just watched the theatrical cut, though, right? Yeah, but I also read the book. Oh, yeah. around the same time so it gets a little blurry yeah. here and there but i think and I, like i said like i said i remember the version you never saw a lot more than i do the original which is why i went back to that so there it's yeah, a lot remember, of it stood in my head i can't remember which version didn't have it but uh, i don't i don't think it was in the theatrical I yeah don't think the so. extended cut put it back in at least which was uh, mm-hmm. at the end where kinderman and dyer become pals with right. a both like and, you know and that's the other thing um you know, Kinderman's trying. I I don't think it was a ploy when he's trying to befriend uh, Father Karras. No, and I don't think it was a ploy when he's trying to befriend Dyer at the end of the day. Because again, this is this is a guy who tries to do good, mm-hmm. um, and I think that he he himself is lonely, and I think that he recognized that these other people are lonely going through something and could use a friend. Yeah. yeah. So don't be don't be the dick in all the other exorcists exorcism movies and be you know just like a priest who comes in and lord be be you know be kinderman yeah be be a good guy yeah but yeah <laughs> try, it's a, try to try to befriend people in need of friends yeah and it was there's some great moments between him and the between those characters uh you know the the jest that they probably would go right. over the heads of him maybe he's not a film buff but <laughs> the you know the jokes of oh yeah it's hamlet you know, with Groucho Marx. With Groucho Marx playing Hamlet. Um, <laughs> right, right. You know, and Baby Carrot's going, yeah, I've seen it. Um, you know, right. they're just kind of, you know, joking around or, with each other. Or they're like, oh, the other people were telling you you look like Brando. And then at the end of the conversation, like, I lied. You look like Sal Minio. <laughs> Sal Minio. And I think Jason Miller actually does look like Sal Minio. Right. So, uh, but yeah, um, it was actually, I think, added for the for the film. Because uh, Jason Miller actually did have a, a resemblance. He, he did have a line like that in the book, but I can't remember if it was Sal Minio or something else. I don't think it was uh, Sal Minio. I think it was right. somebody else. But yeah, um, I think it was changed to Sal Minio because Jason Miller actually has a, a striking resemblance to right. Sal Minio. But, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great film. Um, and like I said, it's, it's an effective film. And I would still call it one of the scariest movies ever made. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I guess we can I talk a little bit about the exorcism sequence because we haven't really touched it too much mm-hmm. um, and how shocking that all of those images were, um, yeah. you know, uh, and all of the possession stuff, um, even though I would argue the the crucifix mm-hmm. uh, sequence is actually like the most shocking mm-hmm. uh, in the, yeah. film. Oh. the exorcism itself is, is really, really uh, is really intense. But the the max the crucifix masturbation sequence is just flips right. the head around. That was that did? was that was the part where I'm like, maybe my niece saw the TV cut. Yeah. If, that, if that's taken out, and the part where like 
like the doctor comes to check out her and she like you know pulls up her dress she's like fuck me fuck yeah. me yeah uh, yeah no yeah it's really upsetting no. right. and chris big deal uh having the the armoire thrown at her but, or even before that, when she shoves her face into, you know, yeah, her, shoves her, into her, her bloody parts yeah. uh, and says, she screams, lick me at her mother. Yeah. Oh, dear God. Yeah. It's, really, it's, 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 it's the scariest part in the whole movie, in my opinion. It's, it's really, really a frightening sequence. Um, and although they don't talk striking. about it, they don't talk about it much, you know, when they talk about the exorcism, exorcist or, you know, it being a very uh, controversial film, I think they're, they're kind of referring to that. Uh, yeah, a lot of ways because um, that's that's that something be, you don't. Then you can't even get away with that today. I don't think I you mean, can get away really. with that today. Yeah, you I couldn't. Mean, was, you couldn't then, and you can't today. When, yeah. when standards have changed, you know, and become more accepting. Your mother sucks uh, cocks in hell. I don't think you could get that line past the censor. You could, today. I think you could get that line past the censor, but you definitely couldn't. Can't get the 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 me. Yeah. prepubescent sexuality mm. stuff past yeah. anybody. Yeah, and I'm not yeah. saying that in a blazing saddles way. I don't think it could. No. I don't. I don't. I don't know how they did it then, and I don't know how they did it now. Yeah. <laughs> how they would do it now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've read. I read some some trivia of uh, other directors who were considered for this film. It was like it was everybody. Like it was all of the big right. name. Kubrick was talked yeah. to, uh, but then they they were afraid he would uh, and he would have gone over budget. Um, oh yeah and yeah. they'd still it, be making that movie today yeah kubrick would have been making that <laughs> kubrick would have taken three years to make the film for for you know 200 million dollars I, I didn't i didn't i didn't hear that they talked they thought about having kubrick out there but i i thought of kubrick you know in the scene where they they slap uh chris and she gets pulled back on that harness because you know she she sustained a lifelong injury doing that scene and i'm like it, that seems like a kubrick thing or or the part where um William Friedkin was, you know, I can't remember who it was, but he, he, you know, one of the actors, he was trying to get a reaction out of him. He's like, do you trust me? And they said, yes. And he smacked him in the face, like as yeah. hard as he could to get a reaction out of him. And I'm like, okay, that's some Kubrick stuff. I guess that was how they directed movies back Friedkin, in the 70s. Yeah. Friedkin did some pretty intense shit on the set of this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know the scene where it's a wonderful jump scare mm-hmm. of uh, he's listening to the English backwards. Uh, uh, Father right. Karras is. And then the phone rings. And uh, Jason right. Miller's head just snaps up. Uh, I heard talk that freaking fired off a gun. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in the room, and, and Miller flipped out on him and was right. like, you know, I am an actor, sir. Like, you know, yeah. like, but yeah, yeah. like, he, and then of course, uh, poor uh, Linda Blair mm-hmm. was physically tortured on this movie, uh, got pneumonia. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they had uh, a freezing set. I mean, with the nightgown. Yeah, in a nightgown. And uh, it, rather than just, you know, Use air conditioning to lower the thing. Mm-hmm. He's just like, nope, we're gonna open up the window yeah. in the middle of the winter. Um, and then uh, it, to this day, she has um, uh, heavy avoidance, uh, avoidance to cold. She can't right. stand the cold. Like it actually is like a, a post traumatic stress response. Yeah. Oh, to the cold. That that was the other thing I was gonna mention about uh, what uh, Deb Deckard had talked to me about. Um, mm. She she does like transcriptions of like movies and TV shows for a living. But her mother was a tutor. In Hollywood, oh, um, so like one of the things I she had mentioned recently because we were talking about uh Jan Brady being a shit heel Trumper nowadays and an anti vaxxer yeah. mm. uh, she's like, oh, my mother tutored her, like she would not be happy about this. Yeah. Um, but she had mentioned that like you know her mother had seen The Exorcist and she's she's like, I would have stopped this movie from being made. Yeah, just 
because she could tell like what they put, you know, Linda Blair, Blair through. through. Yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm like, yeah, he did. You know, and I told her a little bit about what little I know from the yeah. behind the scenes stories of like, you know, this the set and how difficult it was for her. She's like, oh yeah, my mom would have, yeah, would have gotten the way <laughs> that. Yeah. You know, because the tutor is is the adult on set for these yeah. kids. You know, they're yeah. they're the advocate. Yeah. Um, and she wasn't saying it in a fashion that like the tutor that Linda Blair had dropped the ball, but she was like, I uh, <laughs> I don't know about this. Yeah, I mean, this was a pretty big budget movie made for Warner yeah. Brothers. Um, right. You know, and they would have, would have been very specific in finding somebody that was just going to kind of be on board. Right. Um, but I mean, of course, there's also the story of like Jamie Lee Curtis wanted the role at 12 right. and uh, her mother wouldn't let her. Uh, for Probably that, right. Pretty much so. for that reason. Yeah, pretty much yeah. for that reason. She read the script and was like, no. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's. It was a lot of really, really fucked up stuff, and I other guys. I think like uh, was fucking was John Ford may have been considered uh, right. Peck and Paw. Like you know, <laughs> like they were like they talked to like almost everybody. Well, that's was that's the other thing. Time. Even back even back then in you know Hollywood, and this was the Warner Brothers. It wasn't you know a, yeah. a, an independent filmmaker or, or a smaller company. Like no. even back then, they were like, "Who's hot right now? Let's talk to him." Let's talk you to know? him. Yeah, and they wound up getting you know William Friedkin. You know, like I said, he just his last film before this was the French Connection, and that was huge, yeah, huge, yeah, huge and, and that got him a lot of clout. And really, between these two movies, like I think he earned his place, and you know, yeah, in the canon of, of great directors, yeah, nominated for an Oscar, yeah, there film. were a lot of Oscar nominations for this film, like, yeah, there were all of them, but and uh, two wins, like, Laddie won, yeah, Laddie won for best screen, back to that, the screenplay. Right, um, but like really, all the all the actors, the you know, they had lead actor, actress, and yeah. uh, supporting actor, actress, and screenplay director. I think picture they may have even been done, but one of the very few times horror has ever been paid attention to. In the, yeah, by the Academy. Yeah, and you know they didn't pussy out like uh, like Silence of the Labs and try to pretend it wasn't horror. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> get that. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I shouldn't just use the word pussy out. That's uh, yeah. that's dated. That's dated yeah. dated of me. Yeah, but yeah, the yeah, but the character, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the film, the film was is probably the only directly acknowledged horror film. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I've heard, you know, obviously, I, 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 I'm sure you and I are in agreement that Sounds of the Lambs is a horror film. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, the 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 people don't want to call it that. Um, right. And then I've they're heard, afraid of getting you know losing respectability. Yeah, and I've heard people refer to One Flew Over the Cooper's Nest as a horror film as well. Right um but uh, uh i did i did look up the nominations just, uh, just go, oh, okay. go through it real quick yeah. um best writing screenplay based on material from another medium Blatty was one yeah. best sound robert dudson won and christopher mm. newman won uh nominee best picture nominee best actress in a leading role alan bernstein best actor in a supporting role jason miller best yeah. actress in a supporting role linda blair Best director William Friedkin, best cinematography, which we didn't even get into the cinematography, yeah, really uh, directly at least. Um, Owen Roisman, yeah. Uh, best art direction, sec decoration, Bill Maley and Jerry Wondrick. Uh, best film editing, uh, Jordan Leonat, Leonidopoulos, uh, mm-hmm. Bud Smith, Evan Lotman, and Norman Gay. Um, and yeah, they sh- all of these things were working perfectly in the movie's favor. I mean, yeah. Oh, it's a gorgeous looking film. Yeah, the cinema oh, right. is fantastic. And edited so well. I and mean, really well edited, yeah. Any yeah. of the versions. 
Um, There's only one one extraneous jump scare that I take issue with in this film. What, which one and is that? That's, that's when uh, Father Karras says, I did it again. Did it again. Did it again. Mm-hmm. I have failed you. <laughs> Father Karras is going to New York and they, they jump cut from him going to New York and the subway car coming in really loudly. Yeah. That was a little much, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure I, it was effective. I it mean, was. Yeah. I forget about it. And I jump a little bit and I'm sure the theater jumped a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that right after he meets the homeless guy? You help an old altar boy father. It's right before actually. It's right when before. he's getting to the subway. It comes from him like getting, leaving DC. Ah. And then the establishing shot is the, the first shot after that is the subway. It's like a jump cut to a subway car coming in and the sound design is like, bah! you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not really well, but it's, it's, Kind of extraneous. Yeah, I mean, at some point though, you got to realize, you know, Freakin probably was like, "Well, we're making a horror film, you know, right? Right. Let's let's, yeah. let's do this." Um, it's still better than ninety percent of the you know bad jump scares that people talk about when they talk about jump scares. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You're right. I mean, The Exorcist has some really good ones. There's also yeah. uh, 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 there's a great one of uh, she goes up into the attic with like the mm-hmm. candelabra for whatever reason. Right. Uh, she's got candles for some some reason. You know, that, and then like Carl appears behind her. It's well, before that, even uh, before that, even the, the candles flare up huge with a big sound. That's and then true. Yes, yeah. and then, then just, it's like two in a row there. Yeah, two in a row there. Yeah, you're right. right. Uh, it's really effective. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the, it's because again, of, jump scares are not inherently bad. They're not bad. As, no. as, as you've said, as I've said, as we'll yeah. continue to say until we die. Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> Hopefully really not by ones. jumping out of a window uh, yeah. down a flight of stairs. We'll be talking by we'll be talking about a couple more, I think, this month yeah. too of some really good ones mm-hmm. in the Exodus franchise in general. Um, but yeah, okay, we're running up on time. What do you uh, right. do? You have any last thoughts you want to talk about with the Exodus before we wrap this up? Um, you know, we always try to say should should you see it if you haven't seen it, and like uh, yeah, and we always kind of go to the same thing like well why haven't you seen it if you're watching this or this is a classic why haven't you seen it like do we do we need to convince you are we the ones that need to convince you of this yeah very true (laughs) i I did want to mention um uh deborah deckard uh has a book on amazon called the man trap Hmm. um she helped me out with the episode sure yeah greatly begin getting a little you know perspective um so it's a it's a romance book, um, but you can check it out on Amazon if you'd like. Sure, uh, she helped me out, so this is me plugging her thing. Very nice. I'm uh, I'm totally okay with that. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a it's it's like as we've talked about, you know, The Exorcist is a film that's remembered, I think, as being this sort of right. series of shocking imageries and intensity, and it is that. It's got that. Yeah. But I think really what it is at its heart is this really. Um, melancholic story about uh, human decency in the right. face of in the face of of, ab- of absolute despair right um and that's i think that's what i always take away from it is is you know we talked uh, about jason miller's you know performance and how haunting it is mm-hmm. and how haunted he is right um and it's uh it so i mean to me that's what this film and book uh and really we kind of brush we kind of brush past uh you know ellen bernstein's performance where she yeah. starts off as you know a glowing hollywood actress and by the end you know she looks like yeah she looks like hell she looks like she's been through hell yeah. and she has 
right uh she's she's she goes from being vivacious and, and glowing to being you know hollow-eyed almost like a hollowed shell of a human being yeah who's who's dressing you know like she's going to a funeral when she mm-hmm. goes out in public a because she can't be seen yes uh and b because you know she is in this very dark and and, and bleak place yeah it's a very emotional performance yeah um, it's it's really really wonderful everybody's mm-hmm. wonderful in this movie yeah um and uh and yeah it's a it's a really great uh it's just a really great film um uh, i think it i'm sure it is taught in at film schools um it has to be it has to be um and uh it yeah it's it's a it's a really good book too if you haven't read the book maybe that maybe that would be the thing yeah read the book guys uh yeah i mean you've probably seen the film but maybe you haven't given the book a try and it's really really well done it's uh, it's a little dry at the beginning yeah but Um, it really so is the movie so yeah, it fleshes out the world nicely. It really brings extra levels um, to to the movie, or, or vice versa. I mean, it's it's a deeper and richer experience than the film, and the film is amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> and they they work well together. They, right. they I mean, going into this, I going into this, I hadn't read the book in probably twenty years because I, I just watched the yeah. movie, and I'm like, that's that's quicker. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's very true. And, you know, uh, but I was really really just struck once again at how great the novel is yeah i'm gonna try to get through uh legion before we record three i, I uh it's been a little while since i've read that but um I, I, i'll definitely get to it uh because my my work situation has it where i can listen to audiobooks most of the night <laughs> so, pretty cool yeah which is awesome yeah. yeah guys and guys while we're talking about audiobooks real quick um it's it's not less it's not a less noble pursuit than reading a book or reading a physical book um, a lot of people are snobby about it i used yeah. to be snobby about it um it finally took stephen king to get me to come around on that he's uh i don't remember if it was his odd writing book or, or something else where he's like you're getting all the words that were written when you listen to an audiobook when yep. you read it sometimes you skip sometimes you you lose your yeah. place you, you brush over things in the audiobook like you you listen to everything so Although, don't, I mean, don't poo-poo. And it's good for people who have like dyslexia or, or eye strain true, problems or, or vision problems in general. Like there's always a reason for that. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, especially it, nowadays when everything's unabridged. Yeah. Back back when we were youngins, <laughs> you could get, you know, cassettes that were very highly abridged or or DVDs, CDs that were very highly abridged. Nowadays it's everything. It's not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. Yeah, same thing with subtitles. I've seen I've seen young some young people be like, "What the hell? Why would anybody watch subtitles?" I'm like, "Because people are deaf, right? Yeah, or they're you know people are getting old and their ears don't work as well. I mean, like it's actually or, all of this or, has a purpose. Or people you know do sound design like Christopher Nolan, where you literally can't hear anything. I yeah. mean, <laughs> throw some. We can't get through one episode without throwing shade at somebody, right? Um. Yeah. But okay, yeah, uh, I guess that pretty much wraps us up for The Exorcist. Uh, like I said, I, I, we do recommend the book. Um, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't read the book, give it a shot. Uh, give Blatty's work a shot in general. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, I've said this before: the Ninth Configuration. Uh, I actually had a, a, I, I read it for the first time a few years ago, and a coworker was like, asked me what it was about. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, uh, you know, it's really good, but it's dry. She said, oh, can I borrow it? And I got, borrowed it. She brought it back the next night. It was like, I read 10, 15 pages. I couldn't do it. <laughs> it's so, because it, it is, it's all very, right. philo- it's all very philo- philosophical. Right. Uh, it's a- I have not read the book, but I, I love the movie. 
uh, uh, to get to the movie. It's another, day. yeah, it's another, it's another one like the excerpt. It's basically like everything that's in the movies in the book, but I don't think everything in the books. Well, yeah, I had noticed and I never thought of it before. Like when I was doing, you know, my small amount of research for this film, like, like even Wikipedia puts this, puts the ninth configuration as part of a, a trilogy with this and three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is cool. Uh, I'm going to have to watch it again with that in mind because I hadn't really pieced the, it together in my head that they're the, kind the, of thematically linked. That and they're almost uh, they're, the insinuation is that the main character in the ninth configuration, the crazy mm-hmm. person in the ninth configuration, uh, is the astronaut that oh. Reagan says you're going to die up there. Oh. Um, oh, okay. Uh, at the party when she shows them the right. yeah, yeah. carpet. Uh, supposedly that is that's that a chilling scene at. we didn't talk about. Very true. <laughs> You're gonna die up there. You're gonna die up there. <laughs> the yeah. P. Min P. Um, uh, uh, very famously, uh, uh, lampooned in Scary Movie Two in a very and, very funny bit. You know, but, that was that was one of the things when I was a kid, like like I didn't get. Um, because a kid peeing on the floor is just funny when you're a kid like when yeah. you're an adult you're like if, if your child is in, a, in an altered state and pees on the floor something is seriously fucking wrong. wrong yeah um, and right after that she that was the point where what well that, that was the point in this movie where the first time i'm this what this watch through where i'm like take this girl to the hospital immediately immediately so you know yeah uh yeah Emergency in front of everybody you know? yeah yeah um, but yeah, it's a, but supposedly that's the that's the more specific connection is that the oh okay the astronaut I yeah, did not know that yeah I think uh, it's been okay. a while uh, someone told me that once and I think mm-hmm. it I think I remember the last time I read the ninth configuration it held up but I can't right. remember, but don't quote me on it but I think yeah. supposedly the insinuation is they're the same guy and right. so the ninth configuration does take place in the same canon as uh, the other two novels do. Um, it's definitely the same kind of headspace. Oh yeah, the other two. That's the important part. Ninth configuration yeah. is a short book, but it's it's ninety percent two two guys talking about God, right? And ultimately coming to the kind of come to the decision of it doesn't even matter if right. God is real or not. Um, hey, what matters is how we behave. Yeah. Hey, look at that. Mm-hmm. I never thought of that as a way to explain my my lack of religion, but I guess that's that's the way good way to put it too. Yeah. Um, I'm a ninth configurationist. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, um, okay. Well, that pretty much wraps us up here. Um, uh, we remind you as always to keep it positive, keep it constructive, love yourself, love your fellow horror fans, um, and uh, you know, be safe out there. And uh, and if you could take anything away from The Exorcist, it's try to be a good person, and uh, you know, don't do be no there. harm if possible. Do, do no the harm. least amount of pause. Well, at least um, about a part of harm possible if you can't yep and uh and so uh thank you very much good night and your mother sucks cocks in hell <laughs>